You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning. Hope you're doing well this morning. Excited for Jonah chapter 2. This is the second week of our Runner sermon series. And this morning, as we look at Jonah chapter 2, uh, we're going to see that Jonah is in a situation uh, that is difficult, and he feels like he's helpless. And uh, the term that we use for situations like these is to be underwater. Now, maybe you've heard of somebody being financially underwater where uh, there's too much debt, or there's too many bills, and, and just can't seem to get out of it. Well, Jonah is underwater in more ways than one. Uh, he is in a situation that's difficult, but he is also physically under the water, as we'll see, inside of a fish. And so before we jump into Jonah chapter 2, I want to quickly recap uh, what we covered last week, the first week of Runner in, in Jonah chapter 1. Uh, we see that God has a plan for Jonah. And God's plan for Jonah is that he is going to go to the city of Nineveh. And he is going to preach to the Ninevites, and God is going to save the Ninevites through Jonah. But Jonah doesn't like God's plan. He thinks that he has a better plan. He says, hey, how about instead of going to Nineveh, I go the exact opposite way, and I go to Tarshish, right? And why, why is this? Why does Jonah hate God's plan so much and go the exact opposite way? Uh, the reason is because... Uh, the, the Ninevites were incredibly ruthless, wicked, violent people. And Jonah knew this. They, they murdered and tortured people. They raped women. They would burn down villages just to kind of show how much power they had. And, and Jonah and his people had been recipients of that brutality. Right? This would be, in our context, like a terrorist group like, like ISIS or the Taliban. Someone who, who we see these, this, this clear wickedness, and Jonah, because of that, he, he doesn't want anything to happen to them that would be good, right? He doesn't want them to receive the grace of God. He wants them to get the judgment of God. He ultimately wants them to burn in hell because of how wicked and terrible they are. And so he runs from God's plan. And as we saw last week, he ends up finding a boat to Tarshish. And we talked about this. You know, anytime you want to run from God, you want to disobey God, uh, there, there always seems to be a boat, right? There always seems to be something to take you. Well, Jonah finds a boat, and he sets sail away from God's plan. But evidently, his concept of the presence of God uh, was, was that if you could somehow get outside of cell phone range, then God couldn't get to you, right? You know, can you hear me now? No? Okay. And uh, what he learned is that it's not a good idea to play battleship with God, right? God always knows where your ship is. And so God finds Jonah. He brings about this storm. And so these waves are coming in. The, the wind is blowing. And, and all of this storm is tossing this ship back and forth. And so the sailors are frantically, frantically trying to, to save themselves, to save the ship. They're throwing cargo over the side. They're praying to their pagan gods, but nothing works. And Jonah knows that nothing's going to work because he knows he's the problem. That because he has disobeyed God, because he has run from God, that that is why they're in this place. And so finally Jonah says, it's me, throw me over the side of the ship. And so they do. And as Jonah is sinking down, he's drowning, he's dying, he cries out to God, and God sends a fish that comes and swallows Jonah up. And that's, that's the context for uh, the passage that we're going to look at this morning. And so the, Jonah chapter 2 is a prayer of Jonah from inside the fish. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Jonah chapter 2, and we will read 
the whole chapter, beginning in verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful this morning for your grace to us that you have have given us your word. And uh, Father, we confess that we are in need of you. We need your wisdom. We need your guidance. We need your direction. And uh, Father, I know that that this story from your word, though it happened thousands of years ago, that it is incredibly applicable to our lives today. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us uh, attentive minds, that you would give us open hearts to hear what you have to say to us through your spirit. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. When uh, I was in middle school, one of the things that we enjoyed doing with, with some of my friends was going to the lake. And so, obviously, around here, a lot of people enjoy uh, going to the lake. And one of the things we liked to do when we went to the lake is we would go to a giant waterfall called 76 Falls. Now, this, this is a waterfall that was supposed to be 76 feet tall. Not sure anyone actually measured it, but that was the rumor. And so we would go to 76 Falls, and we would go to the end of the, the, the ledge there on the rocks, and you would, you know, build up the courage, and finally you would jump, and you would free fall for a matter of seconds that felt like minutes, and your stomach was up in your throat, and then you would hit the water below. <clears throat> and we did, this, we did this a lot. Um, but one day, I was, I was doing, I was jumping off of the falls, and, and something happened that was different. And that is that when I went to step off of the ledge and jump out into the waterfall, my foot slipped. And so instead of falling straight up with my feet down like you're supposed to, uh, I was leaning forward, and, and so my chest was towards the water, and I was trying, like in a cartoon, to like frantically turn. It doesn't work like it does in cartoons. And so I fell in fear, seeing this water coming for me. And as soon as I hit the water, it was just an explosion of pain in my chest, in my head. Um, and it, it, just, it just crushed everything. All the air, all the oxygen that was in my lungs just, just came out. I mean, it just, just crushed it. And because I had fallen such a long way, I was, I was deep underneath the water. I mean, I sunk down a long way. And my body's reaction to having all the air knocked out of it is, is I went to inhale. And when I went to inhale, I was breathing in water. And, and I remember this feeling of, of I'm dying. I'm, I'm dr- this is it. You know, it was incredible pain. It was, I was completely disoriented. Uh, my, I, I could feel, you know, water coming in to my body, and, and I, I just knew it was the end. Well, when I came up to the surface, I was flailing about and, and, and trying to, to somehow get 
breath. And one of my friends, David, came and, and he got me and they were able to pull me up on the boat. And anyway, I survived, obviously. Uh, but that, that, that period of time in the water, I, I still can remember today. Like I still can, can, can recall it. Like it's happening. Now, now maybe, hopefully, you've never had a situation just like that. Right? Hopefully you've never been in a context where you're drowning physically in water. But, but my guess would be that everybody in the room has had a, a time in their life when if they're honest, they would say they felt, you felt like you were drowning emotionally. You, you, you felt like you were underwater. You felt like the, the circumstances and the situations that you were in were so difficult that it was over your head and that you didn't have the resources, you didn't have the ability to get out of that. And so you felt like you were drowning. Maybe, uh, maybe it was a relationship that you were in, and it was, it was toxic, it was difficult, it was unhealthy, and, and you, you had this feeling of, of I, I can't get out of this. Or maybe, maybe it was a financial situation. You know, you, you made some purchases, you got in some debt, and, and suddenly you're at the point where you, you just can't get your way out of it. You don't, you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Or maybe... Maybe it was a health situation. Maybe uh, you had an accident or an injury, or maybe maybe got diagnosed with something, and 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 you just you couldn't find any hope. Like it felt like like your body was just being taken over by this disease, or or maybe it was an addiction or or something else. But but at some point in your life, we've probably had a, a situation where we feel like we're drowning emotionally. We feel like we're drowning in a situation that we can't get ourselves out of. And maybe it's not as dramatic as some of those. Maybe, maybe this morning you're in a place where you would say, I'm underwater. It wasn't as dramatic as what you just described. It's just kind of been this slow drift, this slowly sinking down into stress and, and discouragement and, and anxiety and unhappiness and discontent. And, and, and it's just kind of happened slowly and gradually. But I know that I'm underwater. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves when we inevitably get to these places in life is what do we do? Right? What do you do when you're underwater? And that's what we're going to see in Jonah chapter 2. I think God's Word has some very clear and very powerful things to teach us about what to do when we're underwater. So let's jump in. First, when you're underwater in life, you need to recognize your own sinfulness. You need to recognize your own sinfulness. Now, Jonah got himself into this predicament because of his self-righteousness. You see, Jonah was a prophet of God. Jonah was a, a religious man. He was a good man that people looked up to. And when he looked at the Ninevites, all he could see was their sinfulness. And he knew that he was better than them. He knew that he had a righteousness, if you will, that they did not have. And so, and so he looked at them. He saw what was wrong with them. But what he didn't see was, was the sin that was present in his own life. And maybe, maybe you've been in this place. Maybe when you look back at your life, you know that there's a time when you really were a self-righteous person. You were a good person, maybe known as a good Christian. You checked the boxes. You kept the rules. Other people were impressed with you, but not nearly as impressed as you were with yourself. And what happened is you looked at the people around you, and all you could see was their sin. Now, here's the deal. Was, was, there, was there sin present in your life? Absolutely. Right? You were prideful. You were arrogant. You were, you were judgmental. You were envious. 
You, you were lustful. Maybe you lied to impress people. There was sin that was present in your life. But your definition of sin didn't include the sins that you struggled with. Your definition of sin was the outward, the obvious, the, the clear sinfulness of the people around you. And so in comparison, you felt like you were righteous. And you felt like they were sinners. And that's where Jonah is at. He, he, he doesn't see his own sin. And even as he is in a ship running from the very presence of God, he still cannot come to grips with the reality of his own sinfulness. But God is going to fix that. God is going to bring Jonah into a context where he is face to face with the reality of his own sin. And when he does, Jonah's response is he feels helpless to escape this. There is an element of, of God bringing judgment upon Jonah for his sin that is demonstrated in this, this drowning experience that Jonah is having. And so we, we see this helplessness that Jonah feels in the words that he uses. So in verse 3, he says, The flood surrounded me. The waves and billows passed over me. The waters closed in over my head to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. My life was fainting away. Jonah was drowning, right? He's underneath the water. There's literally weeds wrapped around his head, choking him out. He sees the, the, the surface getting further and further away. He sees the, the waves crashing, and he, he knows he's helpless. And all of this, this, this storm, these waves, the sinking underneath the sea is an expression of the judgment of God. And this is not the only time that we see the, the judgment of God demonstrated through water and seas and storms. We, we see this throughout Scripture. And uh, just to name a couple examples, we, we see in Genesis the example of Noah in the world that God has made has so quickly soured. And all of the people all the time do what they, only they want to do. And so they rebel God. They, they reject God. And as a result of that, God sees their wickedness, he sees their sinfulness, and so he brings his judgment down upon them how? Through a flood, through water, through the raging seas, and only Noah and his family are brought through alive. We see it again with Moses. And Moses and the people of God are, are under captivity under Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And God miraculously delivers them. And they're crossing the Red Sea. God has split the, the waters in two, and they are going through. And when they get to the other side, Pharaoh and his armies, the Egyptian armies, are, are, are coming after them, and they're in the water. And what does God do? He brings the waters, the raging seas, crashing down over them, killing them, as an expression of the judgment of God. So we see this throughout the Bible, and we see it, we see it in in our lives as well, we see it in the New Testament. I think this is something that, that's interesting when we see that, that baptism, the sign that, that Jesus gives us of baptism, involves water. And there's a, there's a lot of reasons for that, but, but I think one of the, the reasons that Jesus gives us baptism and this, this, this sign of going underneath the water of being, being cut off from air, of being held under by another person, of, of being under the water, is there's an expression of, of we are sinners. We admit that we are sinners. We, we deserve God's judgment. We deserve God's justice. And, and symbolically, we are receiving it as the waters are closing in over our head. But the good news 
of the gospel, the good news that we celebrate in baptism is, is that the judgment and the justice of God for us was ultimately paid by Jesus. And so as we go under the water, we are saying we are trusting in Jesus and his death on the cross to take the judgment and the justice that we deserve. And as we come up out of the water, we're, we're being raised out of that judgment, out of that justice to life. And what that means for us is the person who's trusted Christ, the person who's been baptized, has been delivered out of the judgment of God. So now we no longer look forward to the day when God will pour out his judgment and pour out his wrath against our sin like we deserve. But because of what Jesus has done, instead we receive his mercy and receive his grace. So this water, these seas, this, this raging storm, it all is an expression of the judgment of God. And Jonah is being judged. That's what he is. He is being face to face with his own sinfulness. He is, he is being brought to see the judgment against his sin. But here's what I want us to see. The reason for this, the reason that God puts Jonah in this place of, of drowning underneath the seas is, is, not, is not just to bring punishment to Jonah. It's not just to put Jonah in a painful place. Because God had a purpose in the pain and the, the suffering and the judgment that, that Jonah was experiencing. Because God was not just wanting to pay Jonah back from his sin, for his sin. He was wanting to bring Jonah out of his sin. He, he wasn't just trying to, to pay Jonah back to bring this punishment. He was trying to bring him out of his sin. Because Jonah hadn't listened, right? He hadn't listened to the voice of God. He hadn't responded in the storm. He had, he had come to this point. He, he hadn't been woken up to the reality of his sinfulness and his need for God. And, and so God had to bring him to this point to wake him up. And unfortunately, for, for so many of us, we're the exact same way. So many people I talk to, I'll say, how, how did you come to faith in Christ? Or when is it that God really started you know, working in your life and you took your relationship with God seriously? And for so many people, when is that? It's when we hit rock bottom. It's when we go through difficulties. It's when we come to the end of ourselves. Because on our own, we think we're fine. We think we're good. We're going our own way. Now, we know we're not concerned about God and his desire for our lives. We, we know that, that we're living in sin. We know we're doing things that we want to do, but, but we're not that concerned because we feel like we can get by on our own strength and on our own abilities. And ultimately, God has to bring us to a place where we, we are brought face to face with our own sin. Maybe, maybe it, it happens. We, we, we get a bad health report, and all of a sudden, we're reminded by the shortness of life. Maybe, maybe we're in a situation where our, our marriage is, is on the rocks and, and we, we realize just how helpless we are. Maybe it's a physical situation, a sickness, right? Maybe it is one day we, we find ourselves chained to an addiction. We realize it's no longer just something that we do to enjoy, but it's something that, that controls us, that we're chained to. And, and through these rock bottom kind of experiences, God wakes us up. To, real, to the reality of our own sinfulness, to the reality of our own struggle. And ultimately, the reason that, that God does this is because of his grace, because, because the worst thing that can happen is we never deal with our sin. The worst thing that can happen is everything just goes well. Everything just falls in line, right? And we continue to run away from God. We continue to ignore his presence and ignore his sin. And what happens? 
One day we die very quickly and we stand before the judgment of God. Right? That's the worst thing that happened. And so it is his grace that, that brings us to the point in this life of recognizing our sinfulness, of recognizing our need for God's grace. And so in our lives, do we see our sin? Are, are there, do we see the areas of our life where we're running from God? Do we, do we grasp how desperately we need the grace of God? I, I, I hope that we will. I hope it won't take us getting to the point of a storm, right, to realize it. But God, God brings us to that point. So secondly, not only are we called to recognize our own sinfulness, but notice next that when we're under the water in life, we're called to remember the Lord's presence. Now, <clears throat> Jonah is helpless as, as we've seen, and, and he's in a situation where he, he feels like because of his circumstances, so he's, he's, his circumstances aren't getting better. He's underwater, he's drowning, he's, he's going through all this. And, and the feeling that he has, he expresses in verse 4, when he says, I am driven away from your sight. And so what Jonah is experiencing is that because of his circumstances, he feels like God is distant. He feels like God is, is not seeing him, or at least is not caring about what he's going through. He, he experiences the distance of God. And, and I wonder in our lives, have, have you felt this way? Because of the circumstances you're going through, and, and maybe they're not changing the way that you've hoped, have, have you gotten to the point where you feel like God is distant? Where, where, where you're, if you're honest, you're asking yourself, does, does God even care? Is he even there? And so maybe if I, if I said, hey, if you could ask God one completely gut-level honest question, would that be the question that you would ask? Would you ask God, do you care? Do you care? about my marriage that, that is falling apart? Do you care about my child that, that doesn't care at all about you and doesn't want to have anything to do with me? Do you care about the physical condition that I'm going through and the issues that are just taking over my body? Do you care that I lost my job a year ago and, and nothing seems to be turning out and we're just getting deeper into this financial hole? I wonder if those are the kind of questions we ask when we look at our circumstances when they're not turning out how we hoped and, and getting better, do we question God's concern? And maybe it's not, maybe it's not as major as those. Maybe it's just the minutia of life. Maybe if you're honest, when you're just going through an ordinary week and things just are going poorly, you know, you have a kid who gets sick and and it's, it's taking all kinds of time and energy to kind of care for them. And then right as they get better, the next kid gets sick, right? And then when they got all these dirty laundry from getting sick, you put it in the washing machine, and the washing machine breaks. And then you start getting sick. Not that I've experienced any of this on my own. But let's be honest. Even in the, the more minutia, we, we question, okay, well, God, are you there? Like, do you see what's happening? Do you care? And I think the reason that we, we get to that point where we're, where we're looking at our circumstances and they're not going the way we hoped and, we, and that leads us to question God's love, to question God's care, to, to question his goodness even, is because our concept of God, if we're honest, is that he's like a, a divine bellhop. Now recently my family and I went and did a quick getaway in, in Pigeon Forge and when we were there, there was a couple things that we needed. So we'd pick up that phone in the room and we would call down to the front desk and we would ask for, for this or for that and they'd bring it to our room. 
Now, sometimes that, I think that's, if we're honest, not how we would write down on paper, but if we're honest, that's kind of what we think God's job is. So here's my circumstances. I need you to change them this way. Here's the things that I need. I need you to give them to me in this way. And what happens is that when God doesn't do that, when he doesn't live up to the job description we give him, we're like, man, God, you are a terrible bellhop. You are, you are not good at your job. But that's not his job, right? That's not what he promises. He doesn't promise to, to work that way. And ultimately, it's not what we need. See, we think that's what we need. If we're honest, when we're in difficult situations, when we're going through hard times, we, we, we think that what we need most is for God to fix our circumstances, for, for God to make everything work out that way. But that's not ultimately what we need because what we need the most is not for God to fix our problems. What we need the most is God's presence in the midst of our problems. What we need most is not for everything to just fall in line. What we need is, is an understanding and a desire for the presence and the power of God. Because it's better to experience, hear this, the presence of God in the middle of your pain than to be freed from your pain, but to never experience the presence of God at all. And this is what we see in Jonah's life, right? He's been running from the presence of God. He's been ignoring God. He wants away from him. His heart has got, grown cold towards God. But through these difficult circumstances, God is, God is doing in Jonah what he wouldn't have done on his own. He is waking Jonah up to his need for the presence of God. And we see this, that through these situations, God is, God is leading Jonah to a place where he's no longer wanting to get away from God, but now he's beginning to desire the presence of God. We see this in verse 7. He says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. My life was fainting away. I was dying. I was drowning. And then what happened? I remembered your presence. My heart began to warm. I, I wanted you and we see this, this holy temple there in verse 7. We see it again in verse 4 when Jonah says, I shall again look upon your holy temple. Why is this? So why is a man who's drowning in the Mediterranean Sea thinking about the temple, thinking about a building? Well, the reason is because in the Old Testament, the temple was, was the place where the presence of God dwelt. God had, had made it possible for his presence to dwell with sinful men and women through the temple, through a sacrificial system and priests. He, he had created a way for his presence to be with his people. And so when Jonah is thinking about the temple, he's, he's, he's not thinking about the building. What he's thinking about is the presence of God. He's, he's missing the presence of God. He's, he's missing the love of God he experienced there. He, he wants to be back in the presence of God. And through this experience, God is reminding Jonah of how glorious and great he is and how wonderful it is to be in his presence. Because what he realizes is that it's better to be inside the belly of a fish, but to experience the presence of God than to be on dry land without him. He's beginning to desire the presence of God more than just his circumstances Changing. So what does this mean for us? What's the application? Well, the presence of God no longer dwells in 
a temple, right? It doesn't dwell in a, in a building. And we see this, that Jesus changed this whole system. He comes, he's the full embodiment of the presence of God. And when Jesus dies on the cross and rises from the dead, what happens in the temple? The, the curtain is torn in two, symbolizing the fact that the presence of God is no longer contained in a building and through a priesthood and a sacrificial system, but now the presence of God can dwell inside of us as his people. We're, we're described as followers of Christ. We are described as temples where the, the presence and the power of God dwells inside of us. Now, what I just said to you would have scandalized Jonah. In the Old Testament, I mean, the Israelites would have been scandalized when, you, when, when they, they heard that the presence, the holy, powerful presence of God could live inside of a person. But for you and I, it doesn't even cause a response. It doesn't, it doesn't even cause us to be, to be amazed. It just is something we kind of take for granted. And I think what, what it is, the, the fact that we don't recognize and value and, and are just overwhelmed at the fact that God's presence can live in us is because we value the wrong things. And it makes me think of my son. So my son Judson, uh, when he was two, he was, he was the only grandkid. And so on Christmas morning, it was, I mean, it was unbelievable. I mean, this, this living room of, of my grandparents was just filled with presents for, for Judson. Like, I mean, just unbelievable. And he had all of these gifts, I mean, stuff that, I mean, he couldn't even, he couldn't even play with everything. And I mean, just unbelievable. But, but what is it? I mean, all these valuable gifts. I mean, literally, there was like a, a mortgage to a house there, you know, in this living room. But what, is he, what, is he, what did he play with, you parents? The boxes. He wanted the boxes, and that's what he played with. You see, he didn't understand the concept of the value of the gifts that he had been given. But he was satisfied with just playing with the boxes. I think in my life, and, and maybe in your life, we don't understand the value of the gift that we've been given of having access to the presence of God. And so what we end up doing is spending our life just playing with the boxes. We think, man, I want God to give me this. I want God to fix this circumstance. I want God to do this. And we think those are the gifts. Those aren't the gifts. The gifts is the presence of God. And so I ask, I mean, do we neglect that? Like, do we, do we value that? I mean, the fact that we can pray to God and he hears us and, and he responds, the fact that we can read the, the Bible and he's working in us through his spirit to teach us, the fact that, that we can worship him in spirit and in truth and, and experience his presence. I mean, I mean, that is available to us. And there's nothing more valuable than that. There's no more valuable gift that we can be given. But when you look at your calendar, when you look at a given week, do you give value to that? You take the opportunity to experience God's presence. So often we don't, and, and I would say Jonah didn't. This is the core of Jonah's problem. Jonah, Jonah didn't value the right things. What Jonah valued, when he was running, what Jonah was showing is that what he valued most 
was, was his freedom, what he valued most was his comfort, what he valued most was, was his plans and doing things his way. He was valuing the wrong things. And so what happened is through a storm and, and through a, an underwater drowning experience and through a fish, what God was, was doing was waking him up, was changing his values, was causing him to stop value the wrong things and start valuing what is truly valuable. And that was God's grace. That was God's, those difficult circumstances were, were God's grace. It may not have felt like it to Jonah at the time. But that was God's grace. It was, it was, it was not comfortable. So often we think God's grace and we think of, man, God's grace comes to us like a cool drink of water on a, on a hot day or a soft pillow to lay our head in. Often God's grace comes to us in an uncomfortable form. Often God's grace is, is more like a freezing cold water, a storm that we get thrown into. But it wakes us up. It shows us how far off course we are. It, it uses situations and places that we wouldn't have chosen for ourselves in order to do things in us that we wouldn't have done on our own. And through these times, through these experiences, through God's uncomfortable grace in our lives, he wakes us up and shows us what's truly valuable, which is his presence. But notice finally that when you're under the waters in life, you need to rejoice in the salvation of the Lord. Now, when we think about this story, when we think about Jonah and what this would have been like, we, we often think of Disney's Pinocchio, right? We think of Jonah like inside this giant whale and he's like floating around on this, this wooden, uh, you know, piece of driftwood and he's got like a kerosene lantern and he's sitting here like reading a book, you know, just waiting for something to happen. But that's not at all what it would have been like. I mean, can you even imagine what it would be like to be inside the body inside the, the digestive tract of a fish for three days. Any, anybody claustrophobic in the room? You couldn't move your arms. You couldn't move your legs. Your skin is constantly being bleached by digestive juices. The smell is worse than the outhouse at a state fair. <laughs> I mean, it would be miserable. And all we would want, and what we would assume all Jonah would want, was to get out, to be out of this place. But what's unbelievable when we see this is that what, through all that God has done in Jonah's heart, is that he actually desires something more than just getting out of the fish. And this, this blows me away. That verse 9 comes before, before verse 10. Verse 9, Jonah says, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah says this before he spit out of the fish. What this shows is that Jonah has come to see that there is a deliverance that's greater than being delivered from difficult circumstances. Because Jonah has come face to face with his own sinfulness, 
right? He, he talks about sacrifice in the Old Testament system. When you, when you recognize that you were guilty of a sin, you would go and you would offer a sacrifice to pay for that sin. And Jonah has seen the greatness of his sin but even more than that, through this, he's, he's seen that the grace of God is even bigger than his sin. Jonah is a great sinner, but Jesus is an even greater Savior. And through all of this, Jonah recognizes that, that God has, has given him a deliverance that's better than a physical, circumstantial deliverance, but is a spiritual deliverance. Now, Jonah is a work in progress. I, I I will admit, I mean, when you look over the next few weeks, we're going to see there's, there's still some rough patches that Jonah has to work through. But God has done a miraculous work in his heart. And after three days, God has accomplished his purpose in Jonah, and so now he has spit out, he has, the, the text actually vomited out onto the land. Now, I think that God in his kindness wanted to give me an object lesson, and so yesterday my son literally vomited all over me. So I have a, a, a picture of what this would have smelled like and uh, felt like. But God, this, this fish vomits Jonah out. He's on dry land, right? And I think regardless of how he, he got there, uh, he's glad to be out. Now, I will say, I think the only thing worse than throwing up is being thrown up. Think about that. But Jonah goes through all this. He's delivered. This is how God brings him onto dry land. And ultimately... <clears throat> we see this picture. So, so this is kind of the, the conclusion of this chapter. And look at the events of what's happened. So we've, we've started with a man who is, who is in a position of death. We've started with a man who is, who is dying, who is facing the wrath and the judgment of God. And then he goes into a fish and he spends three days and three nights inside this place of darkness, inside this place of death. And after three days, he walks out in life, resurrected to do the will of God. And I wonder if this series of events sounds familiar. In Matthew 12, Jesus talks about Jonah. There are people who are asking Jesus for a sign. They want to see something to prove that Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus says, the only sign that I'll give you is the sign of Jonah. In Matthew 12, 40, he says, For as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. Jesus is saying, Jonah, these events, these things that we've seen in this chapter, they all point to me. Jesus is the fulfillment of Jonah. See, as, as Jonah ran to Tarshish to escape the will of God, Jesus came to earth to do the will of God. Jonah wanted his enemies, the Ninevites, condemned. But Jesus came that his enemies might be saved. Jonah spent three days in the belly of a fish for his own sin, but Jesus spent three days in a grave for our sin. And on the third day, as Jonah was spit out of the fish to walk away alive, so on the third day, Jesus walked out of the grave, conquering the power of sin 
and death. You see, Jesus brings the, tu- the true fulfillment of Jonah's words, salvation belongs to the Lord. You see, the story of Jonah is not just a story about one man in one place. The story of Jonah is the story of all of humanity. It's each of our story. Every single one of us has, has run from God in some way. Every single one of us has, has rebelled against God and gone our own way, and the Bible calls that sin. And what the Bible tells us is that our biggest problem is our sin. Your biggest problem is not your relationships. Your biggest problem is not your circumstances. Your, your biggest problem is not your health. Your biggest problem is your sin. And your sin causes all the ultimate problems in your life, but the greatest problem that your sin causes is that it separates you from a holy God. And like Jonah, because of that, because of your sin, you are in a hopeless place facing the judgment and the wrath of God against your sin, and there's no way for you to escape. But like Jonah... God didn't leave you in that helpless place. He sent his son Jesus to to come down. Jesus would not run from God, but would perfectly obey God for his entire life. He lived the life we fail to live in our place. But then he would go to a cross. And he would take each and every one of your sin and your shame and your guilt upon himself. And then the wrath and the waters and the judgment of God against your sin would come down upon Jesus Christ in your place. But then he would rise from the dead to walk, conquering the power of sin and death so that we would have the ability to run to God and not experience his judgment and not experience his wrath, but instead to find him merciful and gracious and loving. And what this means is that if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, if you've experienced the salvation of God, then even in the most difficult times that you're going through, even when your circumstances aren't getting better and are maybe getting worse, you have reason to praise God. Because you can know that your greatest problem has been solved. Your guilt, your sin has been removed. And you are loved. You are accepted. You are cherished by your Father in heaven. And so here's the bottom line of the sermon. If you want to know if God loves you, don't look at your circumstances. Look at the cross. During the moments in your life when you you're underwater during the moments in your life when you're tempted to ask if, if God is there or if he even cares. Remember the cross. Let the cross of Jesus be the defining image of God's love in your life. He loves you. He cares for you. He gave his son for you. And in the difficulties you're facing, he may not deliver you from them. But if he is with you, he will give you everything that you need to walk through them. And in moments when you feel like God is 10,000 miles away, 
Look to the cross. And remember that he's closer than your skin. And when you see this, like Jonah, you'll be able to praise God, even when it's difficult, even when it's painful, even when it hurts. Let's pray. There may be some in this room who, if they're honest, would say, I've never trusted Jesus as my Savior. I've never truly come to him in, in faith and believed him and asked him to forgive me of my sins. And maybe the reason for that is because you feel like you're too far gone. You feel like what you've done and the place you're at is, is too far. My prayer is that you would see this, this passage, that you would see Jonah, and you would realize if God would reach into the stormy waters of a sea to pull out a man who is running and rebelling against him, that he can reach into any context, any place, any sin, any mess that you're in, and he can save you. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, we have people in the care and prayer room this morning who would love to talk with you. Please don't leave today without trusting Christ as your Savior. Father, we are thankful that though we, like Jonah, have run from you, like Jonah, we continue to run, we continue to rebel against you in so many ways in our lives. Father, I thank you that you didn't let us drown and die in our sin, but you sent your Son who left heaven to come to earth, to live in our place, to die on the cross for our sins so that, so that our guilt, so that our sin, so that our shame could be removed, so we could find freedom, we could find hope, we could find life. And Father, if, if there's situations in our life where we have forgotten that this morning, we've run after different things or not experiencing your presence, Father, I pray that you would remind us of that truth and that that would lead us, that that, that that would bring us to a place where we would be able to praise you, sing your praises, worship you. Father, even in times when it hurts. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.